Cry Malt. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News. As ever, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague, and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. A lot to get through today. There is a lot to get through, and uh, I'm actually, uh, you know, if I sound a little bit defeated in that, giving my own very shabby bio a plug in that opening, it's because we're speaking to James Smith from the Crafty Pints. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm just... Uh, Feeling a bit you know, deflated. But... I'm feeling a little bit deflated that I, uh, you know, am letting my parents down. I haven't achieved enough in this world. Matt, um, can I just can I just point out number of um, media trophies awarded? Smith zero, Kierkegaard and Kirk Rigard one each. So typically yeah, but... you've, got, you've got two. For those who don't know, know, and I, I apologise in advance, Alyssa. I know I keep picking on it. Um, Matt. Uh, won the inaugural um, Crafty Pint Award. And look, we, we do often joke that uh, the only reason that anyone gets it other than Crafty is because Crafty uh, made up the award and is the sponsor of it and is therefore ineligible. Uh, but and so there is that inevitable asterisk. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Second best. Shit sandwich. Yeah. Winners again. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but Matt was, Matt was awarded like the first Australian... and, the, and the, the name was, was spelled incorrectly. So did you get to keep the first one as well? No, no, no. They no, took okay. it back and took off the yeah. thing. But no, it, no. It, it is a little bit like getting the, um, you know, playing in the Australian cricket team during the World Series Cup era. World Series cricket. You go, oh, Captain Australia, but nobody came to watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's enough self-deprecation for one show. How you been, Prof? Yeah, not too bad at all. I've had a couple of lovely beers this um, this week. If I can just throw in a couple, because um, because a couple that I just I just felt I had to make uh, mention of. Um, uh, we spoke a few weeks ago to Derek Hales from uh, Bad Shepherd Brewing Company down in uh, Cheltenham, champion home brewer who's, um, you know, gone pro uh, and done very well. And I was lucky enough to host an Alestar session uh, with featuring brewers who had come from the ranks of um, the local tap house Alestars, which is a monthly beer appreciation sort of group. And uh, Derek was, was one of those. So I have had some of his beers before. Uh, but went down to the brewery and, and sort of had some down there. And the if his hazelnut brown ale is not one of the, you know, you know we often talk about, oh, you know, we go to tastings and things, but I don't like dark beer uh, because they're sort of, I guess, burnt by Guinness. Um, you could give this beer to anybody. It, it was just absolutely, just ridiculously sensational. And I don't often effuse, if that's a word. Um, I'm not often effusive about in my praise of, of beer, but this one was just a, an absolute cracker. And then another one that I had, uh, which I have to make mention of, uh, because of course this year the 500th birthday of the Reinheitsgebot, and I tried, I picked up a six pack of the Weinstefan 1516, which is their, uh, I guess, commemorative beer, which I think I'm, I suspect because it tastes very much like their beautiful. Um, uh, called uh, what's it called uh, the original the, the Hellas. Uh, it's a Calabria, it's a isn't it? so an unfiltered yeah. version. Um, and so you know, it, it's it, it was. I always do try to drink local, Matt. You know that. Um, and so this is my concession to um, to drinking local. Um, and I thought it was sensational. A very very well, pleasant. Look forward to trying it. And, and you know, Weinstefan. When when I do go overseas, Prof, I'm a little bit like you. I try and drink local as much as possible when i do go overseas it's often to belgium or germany just to you know because it's it, calibrating the palate with the classics is, is is the way i like to think of it exactly well put so 
Yeah, um, that was my beers for the week. Well, I had uh, actually I broke my uh, growler cherry this week. I, you know, growlers are a big part of the craft beer experience for a lot that's of people. Just, um, that's just something that can't be unseen, Matt. That <laughs> mental image. Go on. But uh, Sorry, yeah, look, I, was... I am not a huge fan of growlers, um, only because you know, like. It, it, it's not the best way to store beer, and brewers spend, you know, good brewers spend so much time getting a top quality product, um, and then just to have it dumped unceremoniously into a growler that doesn't preserve the beer. Yeah, you know, sure, if you're going to a picnic, drinking it straight away. Um, so as a rule, I and, and don't. to be fair, Matt, that's the purpose of the of the growler was to kind of take it home and drink it, not take it home and treat it like a, a six-pack and have a little bit. Yeah, but by the same token, quite often the beers that are put into the growler um, I do, do tend, you know, although a lot of growler filling stations tend to be the 8, 9, 10% super special, um, not very available, you know, non-core yeah. range beers, um, which, you know, if you're going to go home and drink, you know, even a one-litre squealer of some of those beers, you, you, if you're going to drink that yourself, that's a, a lot to get through um, without even going to the growler. But anyway, you know, so my thing is, I'll tend to go to the bar and have it um, if I want to try it, as opposed to fill up a growl and take it home. Yep. I did make one exception this week. Um, the Bolter beer, which, you know, Bolter has been soft launching for the last couple of weeks. Um, they came out um, and kegs are starting to get around southeast Queensland and uh, Craft, my local bottle shop, had it on. So I got a squealer of that just so I could give it a try. And uh, yeah, look, loved it. Um, certainly, you know, uh, certainly a great beer. Um, that, that's it. I, I got through three quarters of the the growler um, or the squealer. Um, you know, I had two glasses in moderation. Uh, Save for the next one. Next day, very different beer. So proved why I don't there like it. It is. So I'll wait till it comes out in can now. Um, yep. But when I went back to um, see if there was any more, uh, they didn't have any. Um, they, they'd, run, they'd gone through their two kegs of it. But Les, my good friend Les up there, uh, one of the guys who... You, you've met Les before, haven't you, Prof? You know, he's, I have. he's worked around the ridges. He's been at the tap house. He's uh, done a lot of things. But he, he's one of those he, guys he that... He at the uh, craft beer stand at the Echo. He does. But he is, you know, if every bottle shop had a Les, the craft beer world would be just swimming, I reckon, because he just knows, he listens to when you're talking about the, uh, you know, what you like, what, what you enjoy, what, what, what you pulled out of a certain beer and makes recommendations that do that. So I was having a bit of a chat to him and he, Actually, it wasn't even me the first time. It was my partner was up and saying, oh, yeah, he really liked the Bolter. Um, I need to get him a six-pack of something. And so he got her into um, a little bit of Big Love, um, the Big Love Suburban Pale Ale from Boat Rocker. Um, yeah. And I tried that. And it was – have you tried it, Prof? I had it I had it on uh, Sunday, Saturday. I had um, my first Big Love. Cracking gold nail. Yeah. yeah I've no, forgotten about that. I, yeah. Lovely beer. Now it's a, it's it's a suburban ale. What is that, Prof? Is that well, a mine, style? Mine was, mine was or is it a trademark? A, mine was listed as a gold. No, I don't get into that. I'm just thinking. Just before we go on, listeners, I've just got to send out a message to James Atkinson, who always uh, takes our podcast and then crafts it into a a, a bit of a a blurb um, article. And I've just pictured you. He, in order to, and I know it's it's clickbait, and we we try to avoid that. But if ever there was uh, an opportunity to write the following headline to grab attention, it will be: Matt Kierkegaard says 
craft beer needs more lezzers um, after he pops his growler cherry with a squealer. <laughs> and gets a, a bit, of big, and, and gets big a bit of big love into his, into his partner. If that, if that, we will get clicks from everywhere. Most, we, most will be disappointed, but I think, James, you, you're, uh, that's just written itself. Anyway, but no, so thank you to Les. Big shout out to Les and uh, great recommendation. And uh, I recommend everybody uh, get onto it for a beautifully balanced, you know, lovely malt profile, lovely hop character. But uh, it, it is interesting, Prof, that I just suddenly, as I was looking at it, um, saw that it was had suburban pale, um, which seems to be designating the style. Yeah, I, I look, I, I'll have to look back through my photo because I didn't keep the bottle, but... Um... I thought mine was listed, or well, certainly listed on the menu, and this is at Riverland, which is uh, it, it's a having a good crack at um, at, at craft. Um, it, it does have a, a CB tap contract, but it, it has a, a couple of other beers that regularly rotate on tap, and they have a pretty good uh, bottle list. And I picked it off the bottle list, and it was listed as Big Love, uh, Boat Rocker, Big Love, Golden Ale. So I don't recall on the. Did you have it in bottle or? I've got it in bottle, and and, and that's what the oh, label says. Suburban ale. Okay, yeah, I'll have to look that up. Boat Rocker Brewing. But again, you know, if you put suburban ale on a on a beer menu, no one's going to have any idea what that is because it's obviously their invention. Um, yeah, you know, but I, then I, again, so is Golden Ale. There's no there's no category of of Golden Ale. It's it's the colour. Well, that that, that exactly. But it's, and it, and it's a nice catch-all in the same way that Summer Ale or you know Australian style Pale Ale is. And it has come to be seen, you know, again, just through common usage, it has come to be seen as a, you know, as a, when you say golden ale, you're giving a fairly good description or you know, a fairly good explanation for what it is. They're not expecting an American pale ale. They're not expecting a, um, you know, a, a blonde. A malt-driven uh, beer or, yeah. a, or a stout. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. So it's, yeah. I mean, Interesting the way it's, it's just kind of evolved, I guess. But, but we are seeing that increasingly, like summer ale. Um, there is an English summer ale, but the yep. beers in Australia that have come to be uh, spoken of as summer ales. Um, Would you put uh, Stone and Wood Pacific Ale in that category? They do seem to be beers that are reflective of the, the, the Stone and Wood, but English we summer probably ale. shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the category that they've um, put it in before. But uh, yeah, as you know, we probably shouldn't go too far down that rabbit hole um, just yet. No, 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 no. I'm just suppressing a grin here. Um, <laughs> yeah. It'd be interesting. I'd like to get somebody on maybe um, just talking about growlers. Uh, so maybe some people from the industry who are uh, who have, you know, growler depots or, um, or you know, growler stations. Is it is it, um, is it growing in popularity? Is it stagnant? Is it kind of dropping away? Because I guess I, I, I sort of, uh, I'm not a, same thing, I'm, I'm not really in that kind of space. Uh, so I, I don't sort of see it as... There's something that's, you know, uh, I don't know, um, especially kind of gripping. Look, that, that's what I was surprised. But then again, you know, when I drive past a craft bottle shop, and it's a bottle shop, um, has two growler taps, there's a constant supply of new kegs out on the on the footpath. Um, they, they're obviously going through it. So there, there does seem to be... You know, a, a reasonable demand for it, and uh, you know, Les was saying that they certainly get quite a bit of pull through. So, yeah, um, and look, yeah. maybe it's just one of those things that in in some markets, uh, it, it's still certainly going strong. Well, Dan Murphy's had a bit of a play with growlers 
a couple of not, years ago. Yeah, not they didn't have a red hot go, and they didn't kind of persist with it for very long. So yeah, well, they, I, I believe but they I had don't some know that whether that was just a numbers thing health or and what? safety. Well, they they yeah. got the. There were some blow-ups. You know, the bottle blew up because of the systems they were using. Was, yeah, or... the the pressure they they weren't the the, the growlers they were using weren't um, compatible with the pressure that the um, that the growler filler was capable of, or, or something like that. And, and to be honest, I don't know whether they came back after that. I don't know whether they whether they just, just shelved the project. And and I guess that's you know, prob- look. I, maybe we should sort of find out a little bit more about uh, that. But from my memory, they were trying to do the right thing and you know, not just sort of get a regular beer tap and dump beer into the bottom of it, you know, which agitates it, um, brings CO2 out of solution. You know, you, you're not purging the bottle with C- CO2 beforehand. From my understanding, is that their systems were doing a lot of that, you know, properly. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's the thing when you've got a big retail like that, and you need a standard, um, and, and you need you know a certain benchmark of quality. Um, you're going to deal with it a lot differently than maybe a smaller outlet that's just doing it as a bit of a one-off for a you know hardcore enthusiast. Um, you know, Dan Murphy's is certainly catering to a much broader array of people who, you know, probably don't well, possibly may need more handholding. Yeah, I don't know. How, how, how do we get here, Prof? I, I no idea. I oh, know. Just talk, you're talking about beers that we um, that we had. Try this week. Yeah, this week. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. Um, what else? Um, You've got kids. I've got kids. Do your kids enjoy colouring in? My children do enjoy. Uh, actually, no, mine are a little bit older. <laughs> They're a bit older, older now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although, mate, everyone's colouring in these days. Exactly. It's a stress release. <laughs> That's it. Move into yeah. It's just yeah, colouring in for for big kids. You know, yeah, colouring colouring your next ta- colouring your next tattoo. Um, yeah. No, I did see in the news that uh, the Bright Brewery had their colouring colouring in sheet that they had it was designed for kids. It wasn't a mindfulness hippie Zen you know one. Um, had it pulled because it was uh, they had complaints that it was encouraging um, uh, yeah or marketing uh, alcohol to underages yeah it was a look at I, I feel sorry for them because you can see the how this thing how the thought process would have would have gone because you know most restaurants you know licensed restaurants where mum and dad are having want to have a glass of wine uninterrupted will have coloring in pens and things for the kids and you know, so mum and dad can enjoy their dinner and a drink um, uninterrupted, yep. no troubles at all. Um, it, it, it seems that you know, Bright has done that same thing. It's a very family-friendly venue, and listeners, make sure you head up to Bright, head up to the high country, and uh, call in and, and visit them, and you'll see exactly what we're talking about right on the banks of the Ovens River there. Um, a lot of families come along. You can see that they've just wanted to put out some colouring in you know, for the kids, and, and, it was, and it was it was an educational format as well in that it uh, it described the you know like there was not the brewing process but I guess it, it you know had characters that were based on you know malt and hops and and whatever so and it was a bit of a shame and, yeah 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 but um, but you can see that they've just sort of done well we're doing colouring in let's do something that ties in with actually our venue yeah make it relevant to to what they're doing here. Yeah. And suddenly someone's complained, saying, well, you're... And if you look at it from the other point of view, then, you know, yeah, you, know, you are actually, you know, hop monsters and stuff like that. Is that really what you want to be teaching kids? So, yeah, look, you know, I, I get it. And I guess it's... Yep. 
good on them too for 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 well, not for caving, but for just like, yep, look, no worries, see the point. Yep, we'll um we'll we'll change it rather than kind of. That they weren't signatories to the ABAC, you know, the Ad, Ad, Alcohol Advertising Council, um, so they had absolutely no need to change it or do anything. They were not compelled to. And all you need is one screwball, you know, not, not necessarily a screwball in this case, but, you know, one screwball to dislike your advertising and suddenly you've, you've got a complaint before you to ABAC. Um, but, yeah, so good luck to them. And you know, it was one of those things, and I guess, you know, it's something that we all need to be mindful of in, in, in the way that we talk about alcohol. Because um, it's funny, Prof, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Like, I'm a big believer um, that whilst we are both very careful in the way that we portray alcohol, and you've written about that this week, um, you know, the, the way alcohol is perceived, you know, you know it comes back to all of us, and we need, all need to be mindful of it. Um, I still think that having, you know, two things that every pub should have or you should allow are dogs and children, because venues that you go to that have families that are there, or you know, have people that they are able to take their dog, completely changes the feel of the bar and the way that people behave. Um, and you know, people do behave as a rule, much more appropriately when there is that. So, you know, I, I, I don't think that, you know, kids' alcohol needs to be hidden from kids and kids need to be removed from licensed situations if it's done appropriately. And, uh, you yeah, know, exactly. I, I think it's fantastic that, you know, Bright is so family-friendly. Yeah, I, I do fear a little bit that... Um, uh, it, 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 making beer this big secret and then all of a sudden revealing it to them, you know, when they turn 18 uh, is not necessarily the... I'd like to see us Europeanise our drinking, our drinking culture, a little bit more. Mm. But anyway, yeah, it, it 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 is one of those things that unfortunately, you know, um, there is an agenda um, involved on on both sides, and whenever there's you know very strong competing agendas, then it's, it's very hard to get to the truth of yeah. you know the, the the best way. So, um, and it's, it's probably a little bit above our pay grade, but it, it might be something that we need to uh, do a little bit of have a bit of a panel discussion on at some stage, Prof, because it's the sort of thing that lend, does lend itself to a Q and A style uh, panel discussion. Yeah, very much, or even perhaps a um, a special feature um, a la the big issue um, on the Crafty Pint. Yes, which is a very nice segue into our guest today. Um, do you like the way I did that? I, seamless, Matt, seamless. You're getting the hang of this um, after 85, 86 uh, episodes. 86 episodes. <laughs> but, uh, yes, look, mate, do, do we, we're speaking to James Smith, Crafty Pine. Do we, do we really need to introduce him? Let's just yeah, let's, roll let's with just, it. Let's just do it. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Um, I, I still have to remind people that have known me longer than the Crafty Pint that I am actually James. So uh, Crafty does seem to have taken over somewhat. You haven't trademarked the Crafty Pint name? Um, I have done, I believe. I'm not, but I'm never actually very good at putting things like trademark symbols on stuff. I get told off by uh, colleagues at Good Beer Week going, are you going to put trademark on any of them? I'm like, maybe. <laughs> I'm proud to say that uh, I, I've known James Smith uh, since before he was the Crafty Pint, um, and I find it really... It's one of those funny things. I, uh, a lot of people know me as Prof, uh, and a lot of people know me as Mitch or as, as Pete, and, and it, it kind of pinpoints where you know people from as to how they refer to you. Well, I only knew you, Prof, once you were Prof, and I have to say that I was very, very upset when I found out that you weren't a real professor. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about that later, <laughs> Matt. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> 
And I've still got some people saved in my phone, like Glenn, who's the head brewer at Temple and was at Hargraves before, is still on my phone as Glenn Cricket, because I met him playing cricket for Mountain Goats cricket team before he was a brewer. And there's another brewer out there, and I, I won't disclose her first name, but she's still in my phone as so-and-so Uber drunk, because the first time I met her, she was drunk in the back of an Uber at the first or second <laughs> <of the> week. <laughs> Oh, we, we won't say who that is. But, uh, but James, it has been a little while since we've, we've spoken to you. We do seem to catch up with you, uh, you know, roughly once a year. And, uh, yeah, just to sort of find out a little bit what's happening. A lot has happened on the Crafty Pint over the last 12 months, including you were taken over by uh, Murdoch. Well, you know, I think 51% share isn't quite a takeover. You know, I think we came to a comfortable agreement there. Um, one that was obviously too comfortable because there's still people out there sending me emails congratulating me on, the, on a deal, despite the fact it was an April Fool. So um, maybe next year I need to be a bit more uh, obvious <laughs> about the jokes. <laughs> uh, look, in, 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 you know, in full disclosure, I was taken in because it was such a plausibly written media release um, that, uh, and I had included to the fact that it was... April 1st, that uh, I did send you a text to congratulating you on a very well-deserved, um, you know, very, very well-deserved, uh, you know, well, victory. Um, of, you know, sorts. of sorts. Of um, sorts, you know, presuming that you, you, you didn't sell out at, at a low price. <laughs> no, it's funny. I um, Even one of my best mates and longest friends in Australia, he left a meeting to come and to, to ring me and go, God, you kept those negotiations quiet. And I was like, have you read beyond the first three or four paragraphs? <laughs> <laughs> no, he hadn't. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it, 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 it was... Uh... I did clue to it when I suddenly uh, reread it and, you know, talking about Yender and uh, all of the things that probably aren't ever going to appear on the Crafty Pint. Yeah, yeah. No, it was uh, it was something that, yeah, it was actually Nick, my New South Wales writer, suggested it a few months ago when we were doing stuff on the, you know, the takeovers and, and what have you. Um, and, yeah, the morning I woke up, I was like, oh, you know what, let's let's just do it. And then maybe, I, maybe I've gone back, I could have been, if you read sort of a lot of the main newspaper ones, they, they get become very obvious by the end, and maybe mine wasn't quite obvious enough, but, you know, you live, you learn. It's interesting to see that people believe I would do such a thing. Maybe I need to be a bit clearer about my intentions. <laughs> well, we didn't do anything along those lines this year, but a couple of years ago we did one with John Stallwood from Nail Brewing that we talked uh, – we did one about new magnetic uh, brewing where if you wrap your fermenter with magnets, it – ferments much more quickly and we still get significant traffic uh, to that and uh, you know it, it, it seems to have taken on a life of its own. Do you still get ones from the one he did where it was he was going to plumb beer direct from the brewery into people's taps? That was no that was one that John did differently but I, I, we did one I, I think the last one we did was when I registered the domain name any brewery and any beer and created Twitter handles for them and uh, issued a media release from any brewery that they were releasing any beer and anytime uh, anyone walks into a bar and sort of says oh, I'll have any beer thanks um, that if the brewery if the bar wasn't serving our beer we'd be uh, taking them to court for passing off. <laughs> um, and, and, and that got that, that created quite a bit of a tirade on um, the, the, the social media that the kids are all using. But no, no, we didn't. So well done, well done, well played. Uh, yes, uh, and good to see that you are still fully independent. But uh, given that you haven't sold, tell us, you know, what what is uh, occurring in the crafty empire? Yeah. Um, well, I guess. Um... I guess the biggest thing in the last year was stepping down from festival director at Good Beer Week. 
Um, I think it's one of those things that Crafty Pint launched and Good Beer Week launched within six months of each other. And in between, I had my first child. So um, all three were getting bigger at quite a rapid rate. And there was a second kid on the way. And it was like, I kind of realized that something had to give either my life <laughs> or, or one of those three. Um, and so, yeah, um, that gave me more time to focus on Crafty Pints. So bringing in more contributors. I've got someone who'll be joining me, hopefully close to full time as a sort of editor slash journalist later in the year and um, Kerry McBride who's been writing a bunch of stuff for me she's very good I uh, was trained through uh, uni in uh, New Zealand by Fairfax so I've got got the skills um, and then uh, yes yeah, so it was kind of you know so I could focus more on Crafty Pine and then Hardy Grant asked if I'd write another book and apparently I told my wife I'd never write another book after the first one but I was on very strong medication at the time for a bad back and clearly I forgot I'd said that and hopefully this time I won't forget because I haven't got the excuse of <laughs> medication so that ended up being a huge amount of work over a few months but now hopefully the coast is semi-clear for Crafty Pint although I have just launched the Cabal like the reader bonus subscription scheme whatever it is um, that's adding to the workload as well but I do feel that I'm starting to see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel with you know be able to manage things a bit better and get the right people in place to to get the site to where I've always wanted it to be um, and also I guess have a little bit more bit more time to myself and how's it, I mean how's it going you have your listings are expanding the, you know it, it, it's obviously uh, able to sort of afford to, to get some professional writers on because that was one of the things when you started uh, attracting more writers um, that you didn't want expect them to do it for nothing you know, there was a certain yeah. amount of love involved in it so the, the, the site seems to be prospering and growing um, as you progress yeah I know for sure you know I think um yeah, I mean, it's, I'm starting to try and pay my writers a bit more over time as there's more sort of income coming in. Um, you know, it's, it would always like to be to be better. I'm not the not the, the sharpest uh, business mind in the world, so that those things probably take a bit longer than, than they should do. But um, yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's all just been really time and resources more than anything else. And, and now that that's sort of swinging around, I feel you know, it's like you sort of reached the apex of sort of pushing uphill. And I feel we're almost about to sort of tip down the other side. And ultimately, I mean, I guess the goal for me, I've had people overseas, New Zealand, the UK, or whatever, ask about taking the concept over there. And I've just I've no interest um, even franchising it. There's, the way I've always seen it is it's about Australia, about craft beer in Australia, and ultimately I'd love it to be in a position where we tell every story that we can the best we possibly can. That every single brewery and venue and bottle shop wants to be listed on there um, because you know it's kind of essential, um, and also I think it's pretty reasonable to be listed on there. Um, and the, the site just looks beautiful and works beautifully, and you know just sort of make it as I always wanted it to be. I feel that sort of is a realistic goal um, without me keeling over in the meantime. Um, so, yeah, no, it's great, you know, and I do still work some stupid hours, but I love I love what I'm doing. I, I really enjoy just hammering away at my computer, either editing other people's articles or writing stuff or coming up with ideas what we're going to do, um, even though it's been five and a half years of, of those long hours. Um, but no, I think, you know, as, as you know, there's, there's a lot of love in the beer world and it's, it's there's things changing for good you know sometimes for bad but mainly for good and it's just great to be great to be part of that so I'm still thoroughly thoroughly enjoying it and probably gonna enjoy it more as I get a bit more of a team around me so James <laughs> it's about uh, it's probably six years or so I think now since you since you landed on our shores or is it or is it more than that now um, uh, eight, years, eight years since we came here and then five and a half since crafty launched yeah so what do you see as the, I guess the, um, in that time, 
because uh, when we first met, I guess your your key agenda was that when you first um, came backpacking in Australia, I think in 2000 or so, you were you were just almost in despair at the you know the um, the, the lack of, of good quality beer or, or a range and diversity of beer. Um, so yeah. in the in the last in the last eight years, what are the biggest changes that um, that you've seen? Uh, well, I suppose even when I got here, I realised quite soon that there was more beer in it. That makes me sound like I was a beer expert 15 years ago. Um, I wasn't. I was chatting to the brewers from Creatures and Rabbit and Squires last week, I think, and admitted to them that when I moved here, I, you, I couldn't even have told you what the four ingredients were in beer. Um, but I'd always drunk real ale in the UK and what, what have you, and I guess had some idea of what I like to drink. Um, but, you know... It, didn't take long after landing here to have a first mountain go and go there and realise something was happening. And I guess, I guess it's kind of everything. There's more diversity. There's more breweries. The quality is getting better. There's more acceptance of beer. Um, it's it's found in more areas. And I think you know it's kind of there's more of everything and, and in, in the beer world. Um, more, and yet there still needs to be all the things that were probably issues a few years ago, such as education or quality and all that kind of stuff. All those things remain, um, perhaps in different areas. And you know there's probably fresh challenges now certainly for the small independent guys as to how they become viable long-term when there's more competition and when there's, you know, big businesses and the retailers looking in with it, with their craft brands. So, you know, I think that the challenges are changing, but certainly there's, there's a lot of breweries out there that you would trust with your life, um, sort of any beers in their range, and there's a lot more breweries out there who have some beers that, you know, are fantastic. And then, you know, and the number who still stand at their bar and pour you a beer that's infected is thankfully... Shame it's not zero, but it's thankfully very slim. Um, and yeah, it's just it's it's pretty colourful. It, you, know, you still don't have to go too far to find places where craft beer hasn't sort of um, hit home. But certainly, it's a, it's a pretty amazing uh, landscape compared to certainly 15 years ago, and I guess so even to eight years ago. You talk about the quality of the beer that's coming out of um, breweries, which is certainly uh, we, we've seen a great um, improve, particularly on the breweries that have sort of uh, aspirations to be regional players. Um, but at the same time, you know, Prof and I had a situation recently where a fairly big bar was pouring beer that was just horrifically infected coming out of the taps. And it, you know, it was a beer that um, wouldn't have come out of the brewery like that. And uh, we, we do see a lot of venues in the enthusiasm for venues to embrace craft beer and be seen as having the most taps or the fastest turnover. Um, and the people that sometimes running these venues are fairly new to the industry and don't have the background in you know, draft systems. Um, we are seeing a lot of issues at the bar end. Do you find that as well? or I, I don't get out as often as I should uh, to experience that, but um, I've, I've had issues with you know, bad beer being poured in venues that should know better in the past. And nothing I can think of too recently, but you know, going back to the bar and saying, hey, there's something wrong with this, and then going... It's always tasted like that. I'm like, well, it shouldn't, <laughs> you know. Um, it's part and parcel of education. There's education so punters know, you know, what, what to be expecting and what a good beer is, that, you know, venues know um, how to look after their beer because things can go wrong at so many stages down the line. I mean, ultimately, you know, it's up to a brewer to make sure that everything leaving their brewery is up to scratch and it's going to survive and trade for a while. But, yeah, if people are doing these, you know, permanent tap takeovers and not understanding that they need to flush out the lines in between every time they change a tap, um, then you are going to get issues. And, yeah, I mean, I, sort of broadly with education, I guess one of the things that I've been wondering recently is 
who's going to take the lead there? You know, whose responsibility is it to have that national voice for craft beer as a whole, whether it's telling the message, you know, this is what it is, this is what beer is, here's the basics you need to know. As a venue, you should you need to know this. As a brewer, you need, you know, all, all these kind of things. It feels like there should be a bit more of a sort of central resource or some central guidance there. And maybe it's something that CBIA will, will get into at some point. But um, I think, you know, education is important and it takes in all those facets from educating venues and brewers and drinkers or whatever across the board. Yeah, and I guess that's one of the, I mean, it's one of the things I grapple with sort of managing a commercial website or, you know, in anything. If you're the voice that points these problems out, you automatically upset um, a lot of people, um, you know, who feel that the finger's being pointed at them or, you know, figure, you know, why am I being singled out or whatever. But I do see a lot of practices, um, you know, tap takeovers are ubiquitous and a venue's got four, six, eight taps. They launch uh, a weekend tap takeover with one brewery. Inevitably, those beers aren't... Um, turning over, you know, not all of the beers, maybe the one special, you know, really ultra special beer turns over on that first afternoon or on the first day. But then come Monday, when the tap takeover weekend is over and the beers haven't been poured, we can't keep the tap takeover, you know, we can't keep the tap takeover taps there because otherwise it makes our weekend of tap takeover, you know, less special. So we'll just take them off and bring them back gradually over, you know, the next six, eight, 12 weeks. And we're seeing that um, happen increasingly, um, yet it's also the dirty secret that nobody wants to raise. Um, you know, how do you guys deal with those sorts of issues? Oh, I think there's a, there's a number of, whether they're dirty secrets or however you want to put it, that are out there. I mean, that's part of the reason for launching the, like, the big issue series of features I've done where you, know, you can address an issue by speaking to five or six people who would have different viewpoints on it from around the industry. And... You know, hopefully move something forward or at least get a, you know, a range of viewpoints out there to get people talking and thinking about it. Um, and we've got other ideas of something I've been meaning to get off the ground for a while, like a, um, a secret brewer series. So there's, there's people out there who obviously would like to remain secret, but with other issues as well, they'd like to raise. So that's something that we're going to be, going to be doing as well. I mean, going back to what you said. We've thought of doing something similar. Um, you know, the, the stig, essentially the, you know, the, the, the stig of brewers because, I don't know whether it's the same for you, but all of my best emails start with, please don't quote me on this or don't tell anyone I've said this. Yeah, you know, and the big issue pieces can go so far, but at the same time, you know, people aren't necessarily want to step too far out of line if they're being named alongside a quote. Um, but I, I know when I did the thing about this sort of crappy quality of a lot of coverage in the media a while ago, I then, rather than just sort of saying... I'm annoyed about this. <laughs> Let's have some better standards. What I wanted to do to complete that story, the arc or whatever, is then put together a guide for journalists about what beer is and send it out to all the media outlets. Now, I never got around to that because I got busy, but that's my bad that I did intend to do that and to get something out there rather than just sort of raise an issue. Don't just stop there and go, what can we actually do to fix the issue as best as we can? Um, but, you know, there's, there's other thing I've, I'm hearing, number, but one thing I'd like to look at, I don't know if people are mentioning some of the crazy prices that bar owners are demanding for for kegs, you know, to get, get on a tap, particularly around the Sydney market. I hear people saying, you know, it's $200 a keg, otherwise you're not going to get on. And if some brewers decide they are going to meet that $200 price, one, they're cheapening their product, but they're shutting out anyone else, you know, you're going to get limited beers on a tap, you know, on a, on a, on a font and, you know, there's all sorts of issues there. You know, if you're going to be a craft beer venue, as far as I'm concerned, you should respect the respect what you're doing. You should respect the price that a brewery puts on their their beer because you know presumably that's the cost of the beer. 
and then you charge the price accordingly, you deliver a higher quality of service and people still come. And I think if people start playing games, trying to sort of slash prices and lowest common denominator and then breweries are so desperate to sell beer, they meet it. So that becomes, you know, there are issues out there that, you know, it's hard to work out how to address because people will tell you they're not happy with it, but they won't necessarily go on record with it. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's things out there to be um, addressed and it, yeah, it's just finding that way that can do it in a sort of way that's going to hopefully make something sort of positive rather than doing it just to start a fight online. I guess I've got, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean hearing that, I've got like two, I guess, very competing because I, I agree, you know, as a bar owner, um, if you support craft beer, you su should support the brewers and you pay what the beer costs. But I guess that's you know, the essence of capitalism on one hand. Um, but the other thing is, you know, like the, looking at the directory the, the Crafty Pint has got, you know, some of the venues um, that you've featured on, on your site are venues that are rumoured to be engaging in that sort of practice. Um, yeah, how, how, how as an industry do, do we do that? Because, you know, we need to sort of take advertising dollars or we need to take money, but at the same time, it's almost an endorsement when you when, when we put something up on our sites um, that you know this is giving the getting the thumbs up. Um, well, I'd be interested to know which venues <laughs> on my site are to, to to be doing that. I guess you know that's the issue when you are you know is, is it a case of saying well here's how the standards should be. I mean I don't know if naming and shaming ever goes. Uh, too well but you know just sort of putting standards out there i mean going back to good beer week i think that's something that we always did there was that the standards were always impeccably high from the start and that you know comes at a cost of you know time put into it and, and money coming out of it because everything goes back into the festival but you know i think people notice the difference when they come and see just how professionally everything's presented and how well it's done and whether it is a case of just trying to get out there and say here are the standards that you know people expect but you know Again, then, do you, you know, do you not support people that aren't meeting those standards? I had remember a conversation in the very early days of CBIA about beer festivals, saying, you know, would CBIA be willing to sort of endorse or put out some sort of guidelines for here's the standards we expect festivals to meet for us to give them our support? But obviously, their, their approach from day one is we don't support or not support anyone because you know we're a neutral body or what have you. Um, I mean, yeah, it's a tricky one. From my point of view, it's kind of if you can address the issues and say, well, here's how we expect things can be. Whether anyone listens to that or not, I don't know. Um, yeah, and like you say, do the powers of the market and capitalism sort of win, or do people go, well, actually, we're not going to support that venue, and if it won't, you know, uh, value that the beer that we want, uh, you know, value, value the price that we put on our beer. Um, yeah. But and again, th th these are th these are the things that you know, keep me up at night, which is a very sad indictment on my life, I guess. But um you know, it, it, it is uh, if, you know, if a craft brewer, a small independent craft brewer won't match the price um, that, that a bar owner asks, they just go to Yenda or, you know, there are plenty of breweries that are willing to, you know, put their heads on the auction block um, to, to get the tap. Um, and, and how do we do that? Because, you know, you, you look at the, the, the price of craft beer and people are expected to pay a premium. And as even the smaller independent breweries grow and get the benefit of volume and scale, their beer is automatically going to be, you know, have a lower price point to produce and they can sell it more cheaply. You know, do they artificially keep their price high so they're competing in the same market as the smaller independent ones? Because um, I'm pretty sure the ACCC likes to get involved when those sorts of things happen. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd imagine that over time, the, the you know the larger scale small breweries, their prices will be coming down, or you know, will be competitive with you know kegs from the the bigger breweries or what have you. Um, I guess it's when you know you hear about prices that have to be below cost. You know, when, when things are being sold at a loss. You know, maybe there's some sort of tactic to sort of get in somewhere. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's one of those issues that you hear about every now and then. That's um, yeah, I guess needs 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 addressing. But I, I do think there will be sort of economies of scale for, for some of the bigger brewers and as some of them, sorry, the bigger small breweries. And as they can bring their prices down, it, you know, others will have to look at how they can they can maybe maybe be sort of competitive with them. I'm not saying it becomes a race to the bottom in terms of price, but just working out you know where your market is. And if you're not if you're someone who's going to be niche, then you know plan accordingly. And if you are going to stay on a small scale, then do you have your own venue? Do you just focus on your own local market? You know what I mean? Having that point of difference where you're not trying to fight on five bigger breweries. James, another thing that I think uh, has been one of my favourites, um, A, because there's a little bit of a, a personal involvement, but also the reaction that it gets, and that's the, um, the crafty pint blind tastings. And I think that really highlights what we've just been talking about. Uh, at the end of the day, quality, I guess, is king. Uh, we yeah. can talk about price. We can talk about you know the the, the banner waivers and the you know the flagships and the showcase beers of, of all the different uh, craft breweries that we're we're treated to. But at the end of the day, when it's just down to the punter saying here try this, um, quality is king. Yeah, and I, I think you know we we always I know we haven't done one of those blind tastings in a while because every weekend from about November until June is somehow been busy. But we'll we'll bring them back because we love doing them. Um, but I think, you know, when we do the scoring there, as I sort of say in the articles, as you know, we have a sort of, you know, to style, appearance, aroma, flavour, but then we have this out of 10 overall score, which allows people, even if a beer hasn't been to style, if it's a great beer to mark it up, or conversely, if it's to style, but it's not a very good beer to mark it down. Because ultimately, for the people that are reading our websites, most of them just care about, am I going to enjoy that beer? And obviously, you can't, everyone has a different palate. But um, yeah, and, and I think if we come back to the pricing again or whatever, if your beer is fantastic and it's consistently fantastic, people will pay a bit more for it. You know, and that, that ultimately is going to be, you know, there'll be some people who shop on price. A lot of people maybe shop on price, but within, you know, the growing craft beer bubble or sector, whatever you want to call it, people will ma mainly shop on what they like or who they like. You know, and if they like a particular brand and that brand keeps satisfying them, then they'll they'll keep buying that and they'll tell their friends to. So, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's almost a separate side. That's the ultimate consumer as opposed to the the, the venue consumer, who maybe has different motives. Yeah. And we we touched briefly before on um, Good Beer Week, which is entering its sixth uh, iteration. Yep. Uh, coming up in a, in a few weeks' time. And there are possibly yep. listeners out there who are who are unaware that that you are really the I guess the spiritual godfather or the uh, the creator uh, or, or co-creator of, um, of of Good Beer Week. And we we're talking to to Chef Karen, uh, who is with both the um, RASV, who um, coordinates the Australian International Beer Awards, but she's also uh, director of Good Beer Week. Um, and we're going to talk to her uh, in the I guess the second part of a, a Good Beer, Beer Week Radio Brews News special. But tell us about yeah. take take us back to that um, that that day at Beer Deluxe, where the idea I guess sort of formed to where it is now. And, and the reason I, I say this is because I was in the city the other night in Melbourne, and it was the second or third last night of the 30th uh, Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And the city was it took it, it took me 10 minutes extra to get in on a on a Thursday you know early Thursday night, and I realised oh of course because it's because of the comedy festival, and it's just I guess. 
become so big and so intrinsically, um, you know, important to the to the city's, you know, culture. Um, and I'd love to think that in 24 years' time, it's, you know, the 30th, uh, you know, good beer week. I know. Blimey. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, th I think, you know, I think it hopefully is, is going to um, head that way. Um, I know... As of today, in fact, there should, if you're heading in from Tullamarine Airport, just before you get to the, the Bell Street turnoff, the motorway bridge with the giant uh, Tourism Victoria banner across it um, will be saying bigger than Christmas. So we've got a, a Tourism Victoria as part of their support for the festival has, has given us pretty much the the prime, um, a bit of signage coming, coming in, anyone coming into the city over the next month. Um, so, you know, they're getting behind it in whatever way they can. Um, and all those things help. You know, City of Melbourne's um, been supportive again. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, like I said, going back to the very start, that was the conversation was like, Miro Bellini, who's still involved, Barney Matthews, who was then the manager at Beer Lux, and then Dale and Phil from Bintani had a discussion about doing an event when the Beer Awards were on, which was going to be the great beer debate. I think I was stood outside. They came and asked if I'd get involved and help promote it through Crafty Pint, which would have been at the time maybe four or five months old. Um, and then somehow a few days later, back at the same venue, it became let's do a week of events. And within about nine weeks, it was, I think it was 50-odd events um, that first year. Um, and, you know, you'd have been there. It was it was almost like the moving feast, similar people at almost every event, but it was just this amazing spirit that sort of um, everyone kind of went, oh, something's going on here. It was like that crystallisation of all these sort of other random conversations in smaller groups. Um, yeah, and we just, I guess we just built on that and always just tried to make it the very best it can be. And we've had a charter from that sets out what, you know, good beer is to us and what events have to be. You know, there's a number of events that have been turned down over the years because we don't feel they're respectful enough of beer or, you know, and a number of people have been battered away who've wanted to get involved or wanted to give us money. Um, and I think that's been an important part of it is that the festival um, has, has grown without without selling out, you know, and without sort of moving away from its ideals and at the same time trying to go, what are the absolute best events we can do? And, and the, I guess the best thing for me this year is having had about a week of not sleeping um, after the last year's festival, thinking, am I right to do this and tell the team I can't be involved anymore on, on the same level? That I did that, and I'm not, I'm, I reckon I'm doing about a quarter of a percent of the work I've done in previous years, and the website looks better than ever. The program's amazing. We've got the motorway bridge. You know, everything's continued to grow and, and go fantastic. So it's nice to be able to just sit back, go to a meeting every now and then, and go, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> And it really has kind of, I guess, grown organically and dynamically. There hasn't, I guess, been a, like a roadmap for, you know, this is where we want it to look in year five, this is where we want it to look in year 10. And yet yeah. it, it kind of, it, it's almost like it builds upon itself each year. Yeah, yeah. And I, th I think, you know, we've, we've had certain things. It's, it's been a not-for-profit since you know, after year one when we set it up properly. So it's, it's always been set up as a not-for-profit. Um, so it is sort of, you know, within that community spirit of the beer world. Um, having said that, you know, we did actually have a get together not long after last year's festival where Derek Hales, who's now the one of the guys behind Bad Shepherd Brewery, um, I brought him onto the committee, having known him for a number of years. Um, he was very senior in craft foods and sort of strategy side of things. So he sat the Good Beer Week committee down for a it was a four or five hours sort of guided I guess something you do within a, you know, within craft foods where you sit people down and you try and work out values and where you're going to go and all that kind of thing. 
And on paper, you know, when you, we've been sort of making this up as we go along as a beer festival, you kind of like, that sounds really stiff. But it was an amazing afternoon because we sort of drew out of us what we all really believed in and what we were doing. And it was amazing how much common ground there was between us. And then nutted down to the values that, you know, drove good beer weekend would never change. And, you know, what the, the BHAG, the big, hairy, um, audacious goal for the future. And that's where the tagline for this year, Bigger Than Christmas, came from. That was Chev. She goes, I see good beer week as becoming bigger than Christmas. Um, so and so we did have that sort of planning meeting and go, here's where we see it wanting to go. And here's what we would never change about the festival. And it was kind of interesting to see just how how similar everyone's views were. Um, and, you know, almost that, you know, to an extent, the sky, <laughs> there's, there's, there's no limit to how far we might want it to go. And I don't think it has to change its its ethos or the way it's done. Same with Crafty Pine. I think, you know, the, what I wanted to do with that from day one is still what I want to do with it now. Little things might sort of, you know, change around the fringes. But, um, yeah, you know, you can, I think if you work hard and you stay true to what you believe um, within the beer world, then you can, you know, you can, you can do great things because people, you know, people will trust you, I guess. What do you think the end game for Good Beer Week is, um, James? I was reading uh, with interest uh, recently that in the US there's a beer and food festival called Savor, um, which is one of the really premium prestige beer events um, in, in, the U- in the US and tickets sell out very, very quickly. Uh, apparently ticket sales are down this year and it's all, you know, there is talk about whether or not um, a, a, as beer becomes mainstream and as beer breaks out of you know, the, 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 the margin or the, the, the bubble, um, that such dedicated events are less relevant um, and you know a, a big part of the growth of beer events like could be a week was you know almost that um, you know self-supporting you know we, we need to get out and push this product because if we don't nobody else will but as it does grow do you think that the the week might become less relevant um, as, as you know every venue does a beer festival every weekend essentially yeah I, mean, I think um I guess in the you know the Australian market there's still a long way to go you know and Good Beer Week is probably leading the way so I think you know there's a long way to go in terms of just natural growth and you know in terms of an audience and interest but I, I think one of the things that helps Good Beer Week be fairly bulletproof is it's it is so versatile you know at the end, end of the day there are definitions around what good beer has to be and who can be involved and we do have standards for events but you can take that in any direction you only have to look at some of the stuff that's happened over the years and where events have been in that there's kind of nothing limiting people's imaginations to to keep making it fun and keep making it interesting and keep making it relevant um and you know i think there'll be certain core things that stay there so i think there's always going to be ways to tweak and and um you know and to I guess, you know, with Savor, you're looking at a, a very specific event, whereas Good Beer Week, within, you know, the 250-odd events, there's a lot of diversity in there, you know, and there's stuff that might pull people who don't have a vague interest along because they actually want to see that band or they're particularly into, you know, that particular restaurant or whatever. So I think it's it's something that's got a, a, a great deal of flexibility built into it inherently. So I think that, that will stand it in good stead. Um, and, you know, and then there's... There's been other festivals overseas that have started on the back of people coming over and seeing Good Beer Week and other people who've been from other countries and seen Good Beer Week and figure that their beer weeks could be better where they are. So who knows, that could be something that happens down the line, you know, so, you know whether it's this, you know it's a consulting thing or whether, you know, Good Beer Week kind of the brand spreads elsewhere um, outside Australia, but we, we shall see. 
But, but in fact, I'm coming back to what Prof said as well. You know, if we continue to get the support of um, you know, tourism Victoria and that and the likes, then presumably, you know, Good Beer Week can become something that is part of the Melbourne fabric. You know, and Melbourne becomes increasingly known as one of those places in the world that if you're into great beer, then Melbourne's a great place to go and visit any time. But if you want to have the best time, go for Good Beer Week and Gabs, you know, and you're going to have 10 days where you're going to be totally spoiled um, in every direction you want. So, you know, whether it's in 24 years' time or four years' time, it'd be nice to think that he's struggling to get into town because Good Beer Week's on not just the comedy festival. Now, speaking of, uh, of spoiling your punters, uh, the Crafty Pint has recently launched the, the Crafty Cabal, which is, I guess, yes. a bit of a... A flyby slash, you know, uh, loyalty VIP sort of program through the website, which offers uh, uh, special events and things like that. Tell us about that. Um, I th I'm pretty sure that even before I launched Crafty Pint, there was, you know, thinking, oh, maybe there needs to be some sort of, you know, membership thing or loyalty thing down the line. Uh, just trying to work out how, you know, you go and make one of these things financially sustainable. And then I think maybe about three or four years ago, I was like, yeah, well, let's get this up and running. And being me, it took three or four years to get up and running. <laughs> um, and I guess, you know, part of it is I know there's readers out there who like what I do and want to support what I do. And I don't believe in paywalls, you know, whether it's for the newsletter or for the website itself. So, on, you know, if we're doing this work, I want it to be accessed by as many people as possible. Um, you know, I suppose you could maybe... Just ask people to pay a small fee if they want to for the site. But I thought it would be more fun to do something a bit more. And it was actually with Derek Hales, the, the bad shepherd guy. We'd had a few discussions over the years. And then finally, sat in some pub maybe a year and a half ago, a year ago, we finally sort of nutted out how it would work. And I truly believe like it is kind of a win-win-win. So the way it works for those that haven't seen it is readers, if they want to, can sign up for membership. And they get access to a members area where there's free beer deals, events, competitions, ballots, polls, that kind of thing. Um, and they are, those deals and discounts and events are either put on by me or it's people who've got a listing on Crafty Pine for no extra cost can say, hey, we'll do this for your members. So it's kind of, readers can support what I do financially so I can help grow and pay more writers and stuff. Um, I can then open the door for them to be able to go into breweries and bars and venues and go, hey, I'll two for one tasting paddles or yeah, I get a free whatever. Um, and then the first event was on Sunday. Uh, we did something at Boat Rocker um, where we bust people out from the city and Matt did a two or three hour talk. We tasted some unfinished beer from his barrels, had a tasting paddle of some more of his beers. Everyone had a platter of food. They got a giant uh, Belgian goblet branded with the Cabal logo and the Boat Rocker logo and we took them back to the city and they paid 25 bucks for it. So the idea being that, you know, if you're going to support us, we'll make sure we try and spoil you in return. So I guess a lot of the focus has been around Melbourne and Victoria at the start for the main launch and then there'll be a launch up in Queensland. I should be up there sort of late June, early July, then uh, Adelaide late July um, and then sort of, yeah, just trying to get out to each of the states and sort of build up What's going on there? And the idea being that hopefully wherever you go in the country down the line, you'll be able to go, oh, right, if I go here, I can get this. And it sort of brings punters to venues they might not have gone to or takes them to breweries they might not have gone to. And, you know, hopefully the offers are worked out in a way that they're appealing enough for people to want to go. But the venue, then, you know, welcomes people in and they stick around and, you know, have more than just their freebie. Now, I, I jumped on fairly quickly, uh, I thought, and came out with a membership number in the high 90s. Uh, yeah. Just how how well has it gone? Uh, yeah, it's, oh, there was there was a there was a big jump on at the start. It's sort of 
What, what happened soon after I put it live was I sort of got a bit of feedback from brewers and venues and also looking at it myself and was like, oh, hang on, it'd be really good if I could do this and this. Oh, what if we could do that? So we, I sort of went quiet on it for a couple of months while me and uh, my web guy sort of I kept going back to him with all these different requests. And eventually he went, all right, we're tearing up the whole thing and <laughs> starting from scratch. Um, <laughs> so it's only been, only been the last few weeks that we've started pushing it again. Um, but yeah, I mean, so we, we've got a launch party this Sunday for members, and I've also invited sort of friends from the beer world down for for a, a drink and some Pete's. So I think you're coming down, Pete. Um, oh, I and am. yeah, we'll start to get a push on from them. And I guess you know, I, from a sort of I guess business crafty pint point of view, the idea would be that you know, I can build this site and give ever give a lot of stuff to readers and to brewers and to venues and bring benefits, you know, through the site to to everyone in the, in the craft beer world. Um, and at the same time, the site is funded by the beer world. So, you know, my income is only going to come from people who decide to list their venues or their breweries. And I think, you know, I think it's a very reasonable rate we ask. Then there'd be a, a bit of advertising from businesses only related to the craft beer industry. And then readers, if they're really keen and want to you know, get access to all this stuff, they can support it as well. So it becomes, you know, it is the community self-perpetuatingly sort of supporting itself, if that makes sense. I don't think self-perpetuatingly is a word. But the concept is kind of at the heart of the cabal, I guess. Anything else, that, anything else, James, that you've got coming up that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I guess the main thing is, um, oh, I guess, well, Pint of Origin is coming up at Good Beer Week. So with me not running too many Good Beer Week things, we're doing a, um, a Pint of Origin bus tour um, over the two Saturdays. So I'm hooking up with uh, Ben's Brew Tours and we're going to take people on each Saturday to six of the Pint of Origin venues in the city. Um, and they'll get a tasting paddle or four beers at each venue. There'll be prizes along the way, food along the way, and um, that should be a bit of fun. First time I've, I've done that and actually sort of done Pint of Origin properly myself, but, um, but taking people along for the ride. Um, and then August, the book should be out. So it's same publishers as 150 Great Australian Beers, but um, called The Great Australian Beer Guide. Similar sort of concept, but more breweries, more beer, more new stuff in it. And yeah, and aside from that, yeah, just trying to keep taking Crafty Pint the way I want to go. Well, thanks for joining us. So congratulations on all that you've achieved with the Crafty Pint and continue to uh, do to service the craft beer industry. Oh, thank, thanks for having me on. It's always good to have a chat and uh, it kind of offers a reminder of just how many things are still going on. You try and sort of shed layers and then you find you've grown new ones without even noticing, but you know. <laughs> at, at, at your age, you do... Uh, shed and grow um, all at the same time. There you go. That's at my age as well. So, <laughs> but uh, mate, I look forward to catching up with you for a maybe a, a crafty pint uh, during Good Beer Week, um, which isn't too far away now. Yeah, perfect. In the garden, what a garden! Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There you go, Prof. As I said, um, yes, leaves me feeling very much a chronic underachiever. Humbled. Well, because because no, look, uh, look, we are, we are, 
We're very lucky, um, I think, in this country, and, and this isn't big noting ourselves, but I think that we have such a vibrant, um, let's call it the craft beer community across this great wide land. Um, but I think we're also very lucky to have the quality of um, thought, um, of you know, opinion, of uh, and the quality of writing um, from the humblest, you know, Twitter and Facebook group to. Um, beer dedicated blogs to um uh, i guess you know our our level of um nationwide you know national um news opinion article uh beer portals it's just a shame that it, it apart from a couple of notable exceptions um it really hasn't sort of filtered up yet into the mainstream press but i mean that's true of most things i mean most journalists are generalists these days you know once upon a time you had a food reviewer who was you know a, a trained chef and these days there are very very few you know serious food reviewers even employed on on, on the mainstream because they are competing against you know instagram and bloggers and um it, it's not valued reality tv um, contestants with nothing left to do after the show finishes Absolutely, and we, we saw that sort of uh, thing recently where there was those two MKR or whatever, those two West Australian restaurant reviewers who were writing for the Murdoch paper, yeah. and one of them hadn't even been, and, and, and that's the sort of thing you get. And so, and, and, and that's true, car reviewers, you don't have a specialist motoring reviewer um, these days. You know, you just give it, throw it to one of the journos, and, oh, and it's a democratisation of car reviews. You don't need to be an expert because my experience is just as valid as yours. And there, there's some truth in that. Um, but, yeah, no, look, I mean, James, um, you know, really has created something very substantial and, and, and very excellent there. And, uh, you know, one of in, in a lot of ways, because Bruce News started at the same time as Crafty Pint, and we, we had very similar feelings about where we wanted our respective publications to take, to, to go, and we you know, to spend a lot of time talking in the early days about what we were going to do. And the way James has taken the Crafty Pint, there's no point having two Crafty Pints, and that has given us the freedom on Brews News to do things a little bit differently and, you know, be the, you know... Colloquially, you know, the, the, the Cranky Pint. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's the way that we've sometimes been, you know... Um, but, you know, yeah, just the, the, the scabby kid, you know, the, the, the kid with scabby knees and, um, you know... Well, oh, go on. You know, you know the, well, we're... What sort of school did you get? Well, you know, the like they're slightly, slightly dishevelled uniform, you know, scabby knees from, you know, rough and tumble in the, um, you know, we, we're, okay. we're not the library... We're, we're not the library monitor. Yeah, well, I think so. Oh, OK. Oh, OK. You know, like, we, we don't, you know, it, our website's oh, not as slick and... Um, you know, we sort of listeners. I like I like to think punchy. that my uniform, whilst uh, you know perhaps uh, austere, is always you know treated with respect and neat. You know, I may not have you know expensive school tie, but you know I wear it respectfully. Scabby need kid. Oh yeah, I can, okay, maybe let's, that's let's, let's let's work on another anyway for next yeah, week. Okay. Anyway, that's uh, it. Was great to ch chat to James. Um, made it, well, he, he would officially be a friend of the show. Um, oh, very much. It was episode zero zero one. Uh, yes. James was our, our very first uh, guest, along with uh, the beer diva Kiralee Walton. So we must catch yes. up with her again shortly too. Yeah. I, do, I do have that on my list. Not that we're well, sort of going over things, but 
we do need to start thinking about, um, you know, we're coming up to episode 100 and we probably should, you know, perhaps the listeners can suggest what we... And, and don't say, oh, close it down, call it a day. Um, smart ass. Well, well we're, we're probably 14 weeks special. away. All, all things holding true, um, the, the way that we have been relatively... Um, regular, yeah. Regular, yeah. So, uh, so this is, yeah, do do think about what, you know, I, Prof, I, I don't know about, I appreciate that I'm a bit of a contrarian about most things, but, you know, like I don't see the point in, you know, a great example, just in my Facebook feed, another website did brewers reading out unfavourable, you know, untapped reviews. You know, guys, that's been done 17,000 times in every different field. We don't need to do it in everything. That's what Australian Brewers News doesn't want to do what everyone else is doing. Um, so we don't want to do Do we want to do a best of prof? Do we want to sort of go back and highlight the reel of, you know, great interviews? I think well, not. But yeah, we, is, could do a, we could do a short episode if you want. <laughs> this is, let, let us know what you'd like us to do. Yeah. At, at this stage, I'm thinking maybe some of the guests, you know, some of, some of the, the, the guests that we've uh, had and probably can't get Charlie Bamforth or Pete Brown out again, who have been two very well-regarded guests. But, you know, maybe, yeah, some of some of our friends... Maybe of the our favourite of... locals, yeah. But I, I reckon some of the guests that uh, don't pull their punches, you know, the, the, the ones that um, open up the kimono a little bit and aren't just sort of out rehashing media releases, and we just have a bit of a chat um, uh, about the, you know, some of the topics we've covered over the last five years... Um, but not just hashing together a cobbled together show from edited bits from no, a no, previous no, show. No, 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 we're not doing the, yeah, the, the Simpsons 138th episode clip show. Yeah, yeah. But what we're talking about, listeners, Lockie, cue the, the cards and letters music. Though we gotta say goodbye for the summer. Prof, uh, my maybe it was a little bit of a lo- lo- love your work, by the way, Lockie. Nice, nice bit of uh, music there. It's got my toes tapping, Prof. How about you? <laughs> yeah, go on. Um, okay, must have, I maybe sounded a little bit grovelling or plaintive in my last uh, in the last podcast because we've had two after a long break without any uh, reviews. We've had two reviews um, this week. Uh, best Australian beer podcast. From Maddie Nickname. Thank you very much, Maddie. Um, keep up the good work, boys. Informative and fun. Five stars. Now, Maddie is also reviewed. Can I find out? Uh, I'm doing this on my iPhone. Uh, can't can't see what else he's reviewed. Uh, so, don't worry. Um, man of man of good taste, obviously. Obviously. Uh, and then review twenty questions from Stu two one seven. Prof, love your work, Matt. Keep at it. Is <laughs> that a I'll take, uh, you, you'd take that as a backhanded compliment, wouldn't you? Uh, no, I, I take it as, uh, you know, I, the, the, the most improved for, you know, the, 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 the kid that's played five seasons, 100 games, never kicked a goal. That's it. Um, but, you know, you know the, the try-hard award. Yeah. Anyway, Stu, I'll, I'll try not to take that personally. Um, in the latest episode after Matt's phone went off, Prof said that Matt owed the listeners a six-pack. I want to know how I go about claiming that. 
Well, we, we kind of did it um, in the past with the, um, the Beer Deluxe uh, gig at um, King's Wharf where we put on a keg. Right. So maybe we can, we can you know, we'll, we'll put on a virtual six-pack the next time we have a, um, a, a live podcast. Well, mate, I would have gone all Richard Branson and, you know, acknowledged the audacity of that if he hadn't have been so damning with faint praise in his, uh, you know, so effusive to you. Yeah, um, to be fair, so you probably, yeah, you probably, you probably stuffed that up. You probably, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't, Stu, I pay the bills around here, not prof. Hid the sledgehammer Stu, in the velvet glove. It didn't work. Yeah. Now, Stu, uh, mate... If you're listening to this podcast, uh, send us an email. Um, if you email me within you know, 48 hours of this podcast going up uh, with your who Stu217 is, uh, we'll see what we can do. We'll, uh, we'll we'll get something your way just for your audacity. Let, let's hope for go. your sake, Matty doesn't live in Darwin or Torres Strait Island or something. Oh, no, no, look, I'll, I'll see if we can. You know, Matt, it's, in, in this world of grubby commercialism, I'll see whether we can't get one of the... Um, you know, uh, one of the friends of the program to yeah, yeah to, to slip to in look after something nice. All right, given that they we, don't advertise with us and they don't pay right. for anything for this thing that we do anyway. Anyway, uh, what else? Just how great. Okay, following up from last week's podcast, um, Luke Robertson, Ale of a Time, uh, friend of the show, um, weighed in on Facebook and said not to harp on a point. Although, although you could... After which you then went on to harp on the point. <laughs> yeah. But then again, I will... I'm never, not a racist, but... <laughs> I will never, ever, ever criticise somebody for starting with... <laughs> not to take issue, but... Because that is my stock in trade. But anyway, um, I definitely wouldn't expect CUB to redo an original recipe. It just seems they grab a random piece of history they killed off and then resurrecting it with no real link to the original... Um, I think it would be great to see them do a, a modern pale or modern sparkling like McCracken's had rather than something completely different. Um, yeah, look, and, and I take your point. As I said, you know, I wasn't trying to put words in your mouth, but I was left with the impression of both the articles I linked to that there was a, you know, why bring out a McCracken's and then do something that they weren't doing? So maybe I got the wrong end of the mash paddle with that one. Um but what do you think, Prof? You know, if, if they brought out a modern pale or a modern sparkling, wouldn't people just do what they did with, you know, like itchy green pants and say, oh, they're just knocking off Coopers? Well, they did yeah. have a, um, yeah, a sparkling lager um, and Ruby Tuesday, yeah. Well, um, would it have been a lager 100 years ago? Like, would, was the McCracken's wasn't a lager, was it? The McCracken's would have been uh, an ale. No, well, McCracken's was, was originally, it would have been an ale brewery, but I'm sure it was it was around after the 1880s, 1890s when refrigeration basically took hold with the, all the brewers in Victoria and they all started turning their um, uh, ales into no, no, lagers. It, it was the 20s and 30s that really saw um, the great um, push towards lagers. We probably need to have a chat to Brett Stubbs because uh, he's done a lot of research into that. So I think there was. Some well, we have got like... Vincent coming up as well in a in a, a week's time to chat with, and so that'll go up maybe a week after that. Um, and uh, look, he might be able to shed some light on uh, on what the the CV historians have been able to unearth. Well, I reckon actually just uh, sort of. Going back to that same podcast, um, Matthew O'Keefe, who is the CUB intellectual property manager, um, uh, and, and I sort of said what a 
<laughs> Fortunately, I saw what a lovely guy he was and you know, how hard they were working because he actually uh, contacted me and said, oh, hi, uh, listen to the Andrew Childs podcast over the weekend. Those burns he suffered whilst brewing sound horrendous. Lucky the Kiwis are tough. Um, and he's another facing trademark issues. Um, I might have to start marketing to small brewers. Uh, actually, I hope, hopefully Matt doesn't mind me um, reading this out because it was a, a private message. Um, because a, uh, a lot of our emails do begin with, with yes. appreciate if this was kept off the Please record. Please don't quote me on this. But I figure there's nothing. Yeah, look at, you know, it's at least I said nice things about him. Yeah, that's right. Uh, for, for what it's worth, uh, thanks also for the shelf support, Rhea McCrackens. Um, uh, yeah, um, and then sort of commented that, you know, it was Luke's, that he, he Luke had quoted him um and he'd sort of stepped into that interview at the last minute, um, was essentially. And uh, but anyway, that, that was all roundabout way of saying. I reckon, you know, subject to the CUB powers of B, it might be worth having a bit of a chat to uh, Matt O'Keefe or Matthew O'Keefe um, to find out a little bit more about the history um, and you know, CUB's renewed focus on the history. Um, yeah, and also if there, are, if there are some plans for you know for more of these in the next few years, is that is that uh, you know something they're going to look at? And look, you know, I, I don't want to sort of go all contrarian on um, Luke because, you know, Luke, Luke makes some very valid points. Um, and undoubtedly, the McCrackens is a marketing exercise because it's a brand that was effectively dead. The marketers, I'm presuming here, um, Matt O'Keefe, um, the marketers say, we've got to do something that's, you know, old. Um, and it, let's face it, it worked Great Northern, um, which is one of the fastest growing beers in Queensland. And... You know, the Great Northern and the Great Northern Crisp um, were exactly that. You know, they, they were brought out as heritage brands um, because they bought and killed off the Great Northern Brewery in Cairns and it's brewed in Yadala, which is closer to Melbourne than it is to Cairns and yet they call it the beer from up here. So there, there is no doubt a little bit of cynicism um, in it. But at the same time, I'd look, I'd, for, for what it's worth, it was a... a, a Sort of a reasonably, you know, fulsome flavoured beer, um, and certainly would challenge the vast majority of beer drinkers. And I thought that was something to be applauded, and they, yeah. they didn't debauch the history too badly. Anyway, um, the the other thing uh, in Luke's comment, also, Paul McCracken is a conflation I made up. I don't think I've used it before. I hope not. It makes no sense otherwise. So there you go. That answered your question about what Paul McCracken was. Well, it, maybe he is related to Phil McCracken. Because uh, right. it was just one of those, you know, funny things that it made us giggle in grade three, when you'd say, "Oh, my mates are, you know, bend over and film a kraken." Mate, I don't, yeah, you know, and here's me. I don't me, know who McCracken. Mate, you're getting all upset at me talking about kids with scabby knees, and you're sort of giggling like a three-year-old, yeah. grade three. So it's still funny. <laughs> it's like you know, it's like you, you know, you got a mate oh. called, you know, pull me off. Right, well, um, I maybe he's related to Paul McCracken. No, it's a vote. Anyway, in other feedback from last week's episode, Mick Jontiff, um, former de development manager, or certainly in the craft beer development team, or beer development and, team. And has, has been brewing beers at CUB probably since McCracken's closed down. <laughs> he's, in fact, possibly he's brewed been... the original McCracken's Amber Ale. Yeah. Mick, Mick, has, yeah. Mick has just been a... Uh, a fixture in the in the in the brewing industry, and then more recently, I guess into into the craft sphere. 
if you sit and talk to him about any beer that's been brewed in Australia by CB in the last 30 years, he'll... He's had a a finger in it. Yeah. Um, Not a literal finger because that would be unsanitary. But um, anyway, he weighed in. We had a bit of a discussion about the unfortunate demise of the Cascade or resting of the Cascade First Harvest and how sad it was. And we... Because we were not planning to do that, we hadn't done our research, um, but we talked about the first harvest was part of the Four Seasons. Um, I thought it was. He said, boys, yeah, the Cascade first harvest was first brewed at Cascade in 2002. It used Cascade and Willamette hops for that. Autumn Amber was not the first Four Season brew Summer Blonde was, and it was not a green hop product. So... Yeah, mind you, that doesn't. Mick, maybe you can sort of uh, clarify that as well, because you it, first harvest was brewed in Cascade in two thousand two, but was it still part of the? Because it was autumn amber was not the first, but it was part of it. Summer blonde was the first, but then autumn, yeah. actually no autumn. Autumn amber was not the. No, nah, well there was a. So anyway. first harvest, I think by process of deduction, first harvest was around that time, but it wasn't part of the Four Seasons pack. Right, but again, yeah, there you go. I, I, I re- reiterate my point. They were doing seasonal beers, looking at you know ingredients and flavours well before anyone else was. And, yeah, and, and wet hopping. And wet hopping. Or, or, or fresh and, you know, harvesting, yeah. harvest beering, yeah. And in, 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 they also were one of the first to do a sour beers. Not yes. intentionally, <laughs> not, not intentionally, but it was still, um, you know, if you've got a bottle of the 2010, was it the 2010? Yeah, the 2010, yeah, yeah. 2010, but if you've got a bottle of the 2010, um, you could be on the Crown Ambassador Mick. Reserve. Yeah. Yes. Um, but again, but again, like, I mean, even they were very early on with barrel aging in everyone's barrel aging now, everyone's putting in a barrel room. They were, you know, and they just don't, they seem to do these great things, be ahead of the market and not get it. Yeah, not get the benefit of that in marketing terms. Yeah, not get, yeah, get the roll on. Anyway. Um, just trying to think, any other comments, uh, emails? We, we can save them for next week. Just just looking oh, at, no. the, at the time counter. The time. Oh, but then when all of the ones come in, we'll, we'll be, there'll be backlog. No, no people will say, look, you didn't read out my letter. Go on then, quickly. Um, well, I'm just, I'm just trying to find if there were any. That's the thing. Oh, well, see, now you've got, to, you've got to rehearse this and actually do a bit of study beforehand and have it all ready to go. Otherwise, it doesn't count. Uh, no, there, there weren't any more. That ends that. Oh, so you can cut all that bit out then, Lockie. Yeah, but we keep or, saying that. Or, never or leave it in there and then I make my point. Yeah, okay. Anything yeah. else, Matt? Prof, no, mate, that, that's about all. Um... Listeners, we do have, don't forget, Good Beer Week, we are doing, if you are in Melbourne on the Wednesday, we are doing the um, Brews News Q&A, a series of three really good, if, if you like the sort of chat that we go on here when it's just Prof and I, um, we're going to be posting some of, you know, and even the podcast we did with James Smith, we're going to be tackling some of the big issues of craft beer. Craft beer, is it art or science, and what brewers need to be looking at um, in terms of science in the uh, brew house. What happens to craft beer after? A topic that we touched on with Crafty, looking at some of the probably less than stellar practices that go on in the trade and what brewers can do about it, and also contracts. You know, killing the industry or... Controversy corner. Yeah. 
So get along. Lunch, lunch, lunch is included. Um, lunch and as I, you come yeah. along, and there are three different topics throughout the day. Um, and beers. And us. And, and, and just be involved in some really – we've got some great panels, and it's going to be really interesting. Rub shoulders with Pete and I and ask your questions from the floor. No punches um, shall be pulled. Absolutely. It could, so, it, could get, it could get willing. But also, to check out the rest of the uh, Good Beer Week program. Um, get on it because it is bigger than Christmas. Uh, Prof, next week. Yeah, we're talking to uh, Chev Karen from uh, Good Beer Week about. So we we spoke to James this week, I guess, about where Good Beer, is, Good Beer Week has come from. Uh, it'll be interesting. Um, very much looking forward to, to chatting with Chev about where it is at the moment uh, and how it's placed, I guess, as a springboard towards where Good Beer Week goes into the future. And also, Chef uh, works for the uh, RASV, which is the Royal Agricultural Society of Victoria, um, and then looking at you know how they've embraced craft beer through the Australian National Beer Awards and uh, you know a variety of other events that they do. Um, yeah, and really them. and really doing. Um, and Chef's been very much. I don't want to sort of preempt or you know blow her own trumpet, but um, she's been very instrumental in in this a push towards making the awards side of uh, the AIBA, uh, I guess, more consumer relevant. So it'll be interesting to chat to her about that. Sounds good. Look forward to it. Prof, always good to chat. Always. Chat to you again next week. Strike up the band. <laughs>